Hello, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .NET. I'm Sean Claver, your host. And on this week's episode, we're going to continue on with our discussion with Michael Jolly from last week. So please enjoy. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Michael, I haven't looked into this recently, but do you know if VS Code has an option to turn extensions on and off based on what you're working on? I mean, I know you can unload an extension, Yeah, but I don't think, the only way I know to do that, not, not to say yeah. this is the only way, but the only way I know to do it is like if you're doing like remote containers or something like mm. that, where you yeah. say, just don't give me any extensions normally, or, or I want these five, right. but then when I load into that one, I also want these three others. Well, that that's mm. an idea for an extension for your next show. There you go. Next show? <laughs> the, I'll tell that's you, the last, <clears throat> we just built another extension here recently. You'll, you'll love this. Or maybe you won't, but I'm going to tell you about it anyway. So how many, there's so many extensions out there that have themes in them, right? And, and what's crazy is there's like over 5,000 themes on the VS Code marketplace. But developers use usually like one of, say, 20. You know, if you're not using the default, maybe you're using Dracula or Synthwave 84, it's a Cobalt 2. It just depends on, you know, what flavor you like. So like 5,000 plus are not getting used. So we felt, we we're like, how would you even discover those? There's no good way to discover it on the marketplace. So we used the heck out of Azure and over-engineered this thing like to the max. So we basically have an Azure function that hits the VS Code Marketplace API, catalogs every extension with a theme and loads it into Cosmos. Then <laughs> we use some the Azure machine learning to start categorizing those themes based off the colors. So, so when, we, when we go pull that data into Cosmos, we have another function that for each of those extensions spins up an Azure container instance. That container installs VS Code installs that extension, and for every theme in that extension, loads it, takes a, a screenshot, saves it into Azure Storage, and then goes to the next. And once it's done taking all the images from that extension, it calls another function that destroys that container instance. So it's only up and running when it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And then we're, oh, we're also cataloging, like, what color is the font? What color is this font? What color is the background here and the background there? Catalog all that. And then the extension is called Only Themes. It's like, are you ready to make that theme connection? <laughs> so, <laughs> so basically, it's like an OnlyFans or Tinder for VS Code themes. So you install it, and it'll show you like a random VS Code theme, a picture of it. You can see more details about it, and you can thumbs up or thumbs down instead of swipe left and right. But what it's doing is it's tracking every time you thumbs up and thumbs down a, a, a theme, it tracks whether you thumbs up, thumb down. 
Uh, if you install it, if you thumbs up, it'll say, do you want to install it? And if it does, it's tracking that. And then it's using machine learning to start learning what kind of things you like. Oh, you know, Sean seems to be swiping or a thumbs upping and installing themes with a dark background more often. Or a, maybe background is kind of a shade of blue more often. Well, it's going to start showing you themes that fit that whole, I guess, persona that it's built based on your preferences. Oh, I have to how, check that out. This sounds awesome. Like, <laughs> well, I was going to say, how long did it take you to come up with all of this and develop it? Or did you just do it on your stream just, just as stream. you went? Every bit of code was written on stream. We streamed like three days a week for about three right. to four hours a day. So, you know, over time, of course, we had people from the community that got involved and to help us build certain things. And I forget how many people actually ended up contributing to make it... Uh, what it is, but it's 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 been a lot of fun to to watch and see, and it's still running. It's I haven't looked. Thank thankfully, I've got that you know MVP credit with Azure because there's no telling how much all of it put together would cost uh, otherwise. But it's fantastic to see people using it and seeing that database of recommendations kind of grow. And how do you even write a Visual Studio Code extension? Like, is is it all written in um, .NET uh, Core? Or? No, no, no. Well, you know, uh, VS Code's written in Electron. So every, every all the extensions are basically JavaScript. JavaScript. Okay. Yeah. So that, that extension is written in TypeScript, actually. The extension's written in TypeScript. I think we used just vanilla JavaScript for the five or six Azure functions that we use. And then I think the Docker container, the image we build for that, that loads, it actually builds it, loads it to Azure Container Registry. Uh, I think it runs a little bit of JavaScript to install VS Code and probably has some bash in there to install VS Code and then some JavaScript to load it up, take a picture, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Yeah, so they have some great resources for building extensions. They, they provide a lot of starters and a lot of samples. Mm. And that's how I've written a lot of these is if I don't know how to do something, I'll go look at a sample that shows how to do that or go mm. look at someone else's extension that looks great. Like Stripe had a great VS Code extension. So when I wanted to know how they did certain things, luckily it's open sourced. I just went and looked and plagiarized slash lovingly borrowed that stuff. There, there is no plagiarism in development. <laughs> <laughs> because if there, if there was, we never get anything done. Yeah. What is, it, what is the saying? Like imitation is the highest form of flattery. If that's the case, then everyone should be super flattered by all my code. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you should aim. Yeah. No, go ahead. There's, there's, there's no resharper for VS Code. That's true. Are you a resharper user? I use it. Yep. I, use I don't it. use it at all. I stopped a couple of years back. But hey, you have Writer, which we have done an episode on. And if you really want that resharper experience, it's uh, it's the tool for you. It'll be interesting to see how that does uh, with VS 2022 64-bit. Mm. If they can, you know, speed up their, you know, bringing resharpers, you know, proce- out of process so that it doesn't slow things down so much. You know, that's always been, been people's biggest complaint is, you know, it slows down, you know, you're, you're editing, you're typing and moving around. But I get a net benefit to me. Not have any of you used? It's called Code Rush or Code Rush. Yes, uh, Mark Miller and his his crew over at Dev Express put together. They they put out yep. a, 
uh, version. It's I don't think it's not Code Rush, but it, whatever it's called, it's a VS Code extension. It ba- it's basically brings all that to VS oh. Code and brings all that like snippet goodness to things like React, Vue. You know, so if, if you're trying to like generate like a new Angular component or you know React component, whatever, really, really slick as far as you know, it's like. I can't remember all the syntax they do, but but like if you were building a React component, it might be as simple as R space C tab, and it throws in all that boilerplate for a React component. Really, really interesting what they built over there. I think they released it at maybe .NET Conf a few months it ago. It looks like it's called Rush Snippets, Code Snippets for JavaScript, TypeScript, React, and Redux. That may be it. I think there's okay. another one too. I think they've actually got a few now. Like there, it's almost like, you know, Code Rush is just like one thing for Visual Studio. Right. It's like they're taking the pieces of it. Yeah, there's Rush Core, Rush Nav, and Rush Snippets. It's like they've, they've taken all those pieces and broken them up so you can get just what you need if you want. But like one does TypeScript navigation. I think Core supports Snippets and Nav. But yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what all they're doing. Um, uh, you may have had Mark Miller on the podcast before. Yes. And uh, he was sharing it's been with a, some more than stuff. a year. But oh, yeah. Well, you, totally, you should totally have him on to talk about it. It's really fascinating, back. the stuff his team is doing over there. And he's yeah, such a, a great guy anyway. Yes. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. I've gotten used to... Uh, I haven't done it in a few months, but I used to pop in on his Twitch channel. I've been on yours a few times as well. I apologize. And, uh, you know, and definitely make it makes it fun. I think Sean and I have talked. It may be a little too much fun for Sean because, you know, he's getting a little little long in the tooth, but it's good stuff. How about Twitch? How, how, how long have you been doing it now, Michael? It's yeah. a few years. I had hair when I started. I wasn't the bald bearded builder. I was <laughs> the, the lightly thinning bearded builder. <laughs> no, it's been, a, it's been, gosh, probably three years, end of 2018 or... You know, this whole COVID thing has got my time scales way off. Like I, mm. something like that. It was either the start of 28, 2018, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I think yeah. you and Sean, um, Sean ha- does this, the, the green screen background stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've seen you on your Twitch. You've even got like a neon logo of yourself in the background and stuff. You've moved up the, the production values over the last year or so. Well, okay. Yes, I do. I am nothing if not a little extra. <laughs> uh, so so one of the things we kind of joke around in our, our community discord is my wife wants me to leave my office here at the house and give it to my daughters for a bedroom. And I say, well, that's fine, but I'd like to finish in the basement and turn it into a studio. And expecting, you know, yeah, right. And I got the okay. So we're we're in the midst of building like a studio down there. And, it, and I love it because we decided to try and name it. And everybody in the community kind of agreed that the name of it should be BBQ, which seems perfect. You know, I love I love to eat. And instead of it's kind of an HQ. So we're gonna go with BBQ. And yeah, we did green screen stuff a lot. There's actually a green screen mounted to the ceiling. So we're we're really extra. Why do you need a green screen mounted to the ceiling? <laughs> because I got tired of setting up and tearing down my green screen. Oh, because okay. I'm streaming oh, three times a week. Yeah. Uh, and then on other, you may be guests on other other people's streams. 
you're setting down, you're tearing it down, setting it up so often, and it it just gets on my nerves. You know, like when I get done with a three or four hour stream, I'm done. I'm ready to go yeah. eat some dinner, relax, but this thing is in the way and I've got to take it down or I'm going to be bumping into it tomorrow while I'm working. And so mounting that to the ceiling just kind of rolled up and just use a little chain and roll it down, then mm. roll it right back up after and not have to worry about bumping it and all that. Yeah, imagine coding live would be a lot more strenuous than just coding by by yourself, I guess. Um, you kind of have to, you know, think about the coding and also think about the entertainment value to some extent. It depends. I mean, some people just code and learn in public. And if you're just learning in public and it's not really, you're not trying to teach people. You're not trying to necessarily interact a whole lot. If you just learn in public, and that's perfectly fine. When I first started, my whole career was .NET. So I started doing .NET code on stream. And about a month into it, I realized, you know, I'm missing an opportunity here because I do .NET all day, every day. I should really be doing stuff that I don't know how to do. It's a great opportunity. Mm. If I'm going to spend a few hours doing this, this is a great opportunity for me to learn React, for me to learn Python, for me to learn these other things. So from then on, I just started doing stuff I don't know. And it really takes the pressure off because it's like, if I screw it up, I mean, come on. I don't know how to do I never said I know how to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm learning it. And and what what I found was it was fantastic because people who don't know it as well come in and feel like they're empowered to learn it. They're like, okay, okay. the same issues that I had, he's having, you know, so it's not just me, right? So like your imposter syndrome goes through the floor because you're like, okay, you know, because if you're watching YouTube videos, Nobody ever messes up on YouTube. There's no, yeah. there's no squiggly lines under my code on, on YouTube. But in real life, that's not the way it happens, right? I mean, you you hit F5 and pray. And uh, maybe you're in a debug session and maybe you're not. <laughs> so it helps yeah. with them. But then even the people who do know it well, I, it's fantastic because they help you learn. I can't tell you the number of times where I'm writing some code and maybe I'm writing something that works, but you know, just like with you know any language you're writing in, you can do something, but there may be a better way, right? To more optimized or something. And people in chat can say, Hey, have you tried doing this? I don't even know what that is. Let me go look it up. We go look it up on stream and we all kind of learn. And it's like, oh, thank you for sharing that with us. It really is just it fosters a great community where we're just trying to help each other really just makes it a lot of fun. You end up growing and, and becoming friends, helping each other. This, this person knows that more. This person knows something else more. And it's a great, great environment. So are they, are they, are they live sharing the code? So are they coding and live sharing? That, are they editing the code with you type thing? Or are they just putting in Vice here and there? Not usually. Some streamers do that. Well, they'll, they'll open up a live share. I don't normally just because I don't think about it, honestly. <laughs> mm. I'm usually so focused on, like when we were building that only themes extension, there's just so much to do. Like I had never written Python before that. So we got to write some Python. We've, I've never really done ML before that. Got to learn ML. I've never, uh, I use Azure Container Instances and I use Azure Functions all the time. And I use Cosmos and I use these things individually, but I've never tried to create an Azure Container Instance from an Azure Function. And then how can I, call out to an Azure function from that container instance and then delete that container instance. You know, it's just mm-hmm. all those orchestrating all those things so, I don't know how to do. So what about the bits where you just like 
reading up on documentation or, or a Stack Overflow question? Like, are you like I do. kind of commentating that bit or are you just sitting there just literally staring at the screen? Oh, for... no, I'll, I'll usually read it out loud what I'm reading. And I'm I'm one of those readers who, who doesn't... I skim. Maybe that's the best way to say it. I skim. So yeah. we did React a year or two ago. I learned React on stream. And before we wrote a line of React, we went through all of the documentation on their site. Uh, and it was it was a great experience. It was one of the best learning experiences because I felt like that's the first time I've ever done that. Only time I've ever done that. But I felt like when I got into it, I kind of understood things. Mm. Normally, I'm like, hit the console, dot net, new. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Lots of prayer and F5 and prayer, you know. And, <laughs> but but that was, it was a good way to learn. And a lot of people know React. And they were super helpful and happy to, you know, the one question I got a lot was we went through an order and they start talking about like the components and we're going through components and everybody's like, why aren't you doing hooks? Why aren't you doing hooks? And I'm like, we're going to get there. I mean, I can see in the navigation, hooks is down here in the menu. We're just starting at the top. <laughs> and it's one of those things like, yeah, we could do this in hooks, but there's a chance I run across code that's components. So I want to know how to do that before I get into something, you know, maybe a little nicer and newer. But otherwise, it was it's it was a great experience. And it always is. Everybody just loves to help. Most of our projects on string, well, all of our projects are open source. But people love to contribute to it. And whether they're just adding documentation, you know, maybe, maybe somebody, I think one person wrote their first JavaScript uh, in one of our projects. And it was like uh, an Azure function they wrote. We still do C sharp sometimes. It just, it just we mix it up, but it's fun to see everybody kind of learn together and grow together and feel like you know they've leveled up their skills. And the, the thing is, doing what you don't know on there, it relieves the pressure because I'm not expected to know what I'm doing. Mm. So yeah, hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. I guess if someone wanted to that uh, someone just wanted to start learning, so someone wanted to start doing live coding, um, what would be the best way? Would it just be just start a Twitch account, start streaming, just join a community, you think? Um, how do you get how do you get an audience? That's a harder question. I mean to, to get started, super easy. Go to Twitch or go to YouTube and create a channel or an account, you know, and mm. use some... There's there's tons of free software out there from something more advanced like an OBS to even like free services where you just stream from the web. I'm trying to think there's one that's really popular. I can't think of it right now. But yeah, So OBS Studio, that's what lets you get that picture-in-picture effect. So you actually see the person down in the corner. Mm plus their screen and things like that. So Several of them do that, though. There's yeah. there's Streamlabs OBS. There's just OBS, you know, proper. There's a lot of them, though, that are online, like Lightstream is one. I, I wish I could remember there's another one that's really popular right now. There's tons of services. Twitch even offers one kind of baked in, like Twitch Studio or something that, that allows you to do all those things. But, I mean, you don't have to have a webcam. There's plenty of streams out there that people don't have a webcam. I do recommend having a mic and talking. You know, I... If you, certainly, if you want an audience, I have found that most people come to watch for the community and personality of it. People will watch who aren't familiar with that tech stack, don't want to be familiar with that tech stack, if it's fun, if it's funny or something. 
that other people are watching it to learn that tech stack. So, I, you know, I, I don't think there is like one method to the madness. If you look at Mark Miller's stream, he's he's actually constantly coding this Dungeons and Dragons. He's he's basically coding this this logic that's going to be the UI for a totally different stream, this Dungeons and Dragons stream. But it's just really interactive and fun to watch. It's Dragon Humpers, I think. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. (laughs) But if you watch somebody like C-Sharp Fritz, C-Sharp Fritz is very much, we're either learning how to do Blazor, let's say, or it's a stream that we're working on this project and you can commit to it. It's open source and we are building something together. Uh, Much more learning oriented with him. Whereas Mm -hmm. Mark, it's more watch him with his TypeScript and C-Sharp wizardry. So there's different so styles. For someone who doesn't watch a lot of streams or, or isn't that familiar with them, mm-hmm. what would you suggest they do to get involved with one? Because for me personally, I'll come and try to watch a stream, right? But it's going to be during work hours mm-hmm. and I can't do that and do my work, right? I have to pick one or the other. Yeah. So what are your suggestions there? Now, let me ask, when you, when you watch it during work hours, are you just listening? Or can, uh, can, are you able yeah. to like process like listening and doing your work? No, <laughs> not normally. Yeah. No, yeah. I have to be involved, right? Like I'm I'm listening and, uh, and I'm watching. Sometimes I'm involved in the chat, all right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm listening to words from someone else while I'm trying to type words myself, something is going to get lost in translation in one yeah, or the other, yeah. right? All of a sudden you're writing a Dungeons & Dragon <laughs> <In your face. laughs> right. for your financial system. <laughs> oh, yeah. Somebody no. tries to make a deposit and you're like, you didn't roll high enough, you know. Or <laughs> yeah, I think if you want to get the most out of a stream, I think it, it definitely, you, you need to interact. Chat is a great place to interact. But even a lot of streams will have like community discords or that sort of thing. Certainly, the benefit to me has been more so the community of it. You know, we stream three days a week, say three hours a day, but I interact with all the people in that chat all the other time. We're chatting all the hours we're not live on stream. So I think that's a huge benefit, especially like with COVID where we're not having a lot of in-person meetups. That's kind of replaced that um, where we can chat about whatever. We can chat about code, but we can chat about current events or dogs and cats or music or whatever else. Ask questions when you're trying to learn something and get help. Uh, Just having that community involvement. Certainly, you're going to get the most from doing something like that. That's not to say that, you know, just listening in. A lot of times, I'll listen. I'm able to process both at the same time. I can't tell you that I hear everything that Mark says when I'm watching him, if I'm working too. But I'm still kind of listening, you know, in the background. And I know certain phrases will peak my attention. If he's like, let's talk about tuples. I'm like, oh, you know, I've been wondering about tuples. Let me go focus on that for just a second and, and see if he tells me something new, you know, or I, I learned something. Same with 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 Jeff Ritz, you know, like when he's talking about something I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I did something like that with a function. How is he going to do that? Or, or I'll hear like an error message. Somebody say an error message that I've gotten before. And I'm like, oh, you know, are they debugging that? Let me see how they're debugging that. That's where you know, that's one of the biggest probably benefits is seeing how people debug their code because that's like a you know a mystic art. There are things that 
talking about the experience of a developer, that's to me where that experience is, is you've just debugged more things. So you kind of know the buttons to push and, you know, oh, when we do this, we have to face due east and stand on one leg. And when we do that, we need to be wearing our, our sunglasses and Hawaiian shirt and all those little secret things that you pick up and you can pick up by watching other people do it. Yeah, it really sounds like a, like a bigger or a global version of pair programming because I think that's one of the benefits you get from pair programming, just seeing how other people work and you know, yeah, when, when they get an error, what, what, what are the steps they take and all that stuff? Because it's always a little bit different to yours. 100%. Yeah, and, and people are at different levels, right? So like somebody is... Somebody will do a commit and you're like, oh, that is that is the sickest code. I can't believe you did that. That's so much more elegant than anything I would have done. <laughs> Way to go. But then somebody else does a commit or a PR and it's maybe not something super advanced, maybe some documentation or something, you know. But of course, documentation is great because no, nobody really likes to do it. But somebody provides that to you. That's amazing. But then you hear that person say, that was my first commit. That's my first PR. And you're like, that's awesome. You know, high five, you know, virtual high five, you know, because you realize that person just leveled up at their, you know, mm -hmm. from where they are, they just leveled up too. So it's it's great because everybody in the community is like, oh, way to go. You know, you, you did great. Good <laughs> job, you know. And, uh, yeah, nice. yeah it's, it's, it's super cool for that kind of stuff. Well, I think we should probably move on to picks. What do you guys say? Good time? That sounds right. good to me. We, right. we don't want to keep, you know, Michael here for another hour. He's, he's got more important things to do, right? Yeah, I've got to go wash my hair. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there you go. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, and I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. All right. Caleb, what's your pick? Oh, okay. So my pick is actually a food uh, this time around, which we I don't think we do a whole lot of food, right? It's kind of bars. So my wife grabbed some of these from Sam's a few months back, and uh, I really liked them. They've got energy bars and protein bars and stuff. And I'll typically eat one of their bars like in the afternoon, right between lunch and dinner. It tides me over, gives me a little extra energy to get through in the day. And they're they're tasty. They're they're not like, you know, the mealy oatmeal, which I know some people like oatmeal, but the grain stuff, it's they're they're actually worth eating for me. So that's my pick. The guy that started that is on Shark Tank every once in a while. So Oh, okay. I don't, you, I don't know if you watched that show. So I watched it years ago. I didn't know it was still on. <laughs> <laughs> you should, okay. You should get out more often, Caleb. Yep. I should. I should. But, you know, COVID, if I walk outside, it's going to kill me. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Why? What's your pick? 
All right, so this is an audio book, actually. Um, I'm still actually listening to it, but um, it was just a random pick off Audible. Uh, it's called Daisy Jones and the Six. It's basically like a, it's about a fictitious rock band in the 70s. And, you know, all the stuff they do, drugs and sex and all that stuff. I really like like podcasts that, are, that aren't just some guy like reading the, you know, the book. It's, it's kind of like a, it's, it's kind of like a play. Like there's, there's all these characters and they all speak about it and, and, and they tell the story through a series of interviews. Um, yeah, so I'm listening to it right now. And um, yeah, it's really entertaining. So I thought that would be my pick. All right. All right, Michael, what's your pick? Or, or picks? Yeah, yeah. So you want? I'm going to give you two. One is for if you're a parent with a kid who like loves to build stuff, like whether it's Lincoln Logs, Lego, whatever. It's, a, it's like a subset of Lego. It's Lego Mario stuff. And if you haven't seen this junk, it is amazing. I've been spending the last two months with my little five-year-old. We build stuff every single night. And what's ama- what's different than Lego is that all those characters from Mario's world, the little Koopas and the, whatever they all are called, they all have those characters there, but they're not like normal Lego figures. So like Mario has like Bluetooth on him. He's got like a like a QR code reader on it. So like when you build one of these like turtles or something, they have QR codes on their back. So when he jumps on them, he has like a speaker and an LED screen on him that like goes off and gives you the sound effect like you jumped on him in the game. If he stands on top of red bricks, it's like the same sound effects from the games when he's in lava. It's really stinking cool. And they, they put it together where you can basically build Mario levels and you go through them in order and you know, hit all the blocks. It's smart enough to know, like, if you if you jump on a ghost character, you get hurt. But if you jump on a star, which makes you invulnerable, and then jump on a ghost character, it, you get the little coin effect. You killed the ghost. It is really slick. It's it's, it's way too advanced for my five year old, but maybe maybe they're more for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm saying it's for the kids. Do you watch Lego Masters? No, no. Oh yeah, you should check out that show. Maybe that should be on my pick. Now, is that one of the one where they like to do like the Star Destroyers and stuff like that, the big stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, they, it's a TV show where it's competition. So it's a reality show competition of building Legos. And they have a challenge, different challenge each week and things like that. So like one week a little bit ago was uh, like Smash and Derby. So they had built you know Lego cars that could oh, wow. stand running into the other people. Or they have all sorts of different little themes that they'll have throughout the show. So... Oh, that's really neat. It's it's pretty cool. So I think it's on season two. Yeah, it's uh, on season two now. Yep. Yeah. I used to love Lego when I was growing up, but but this the way they did this Lego Mario it just took it to a different level when you can, you know, actually it's almost like you build Mario levels with the Lego and, that's cool. and walk it through it. It's really interactive. Really cool. It's definitely more for you than for the kids. <laughs> Oh, that's sure. Okay. There's a lot of nostalgia for me, you know, because <laughs> you'll hear little sound effects and you're like, oh my gosh, I remember that sound effect from, you know, right. 30 years ago on my original Nintendo. But pick yep. number two, since we talked about streaming, pick number two is a Twitch streamer called White Panther. And it's, I think it's W-H-I-T-3-P-4-N-T-H-E-R. Amazing streamer. Uh Sama does a great job. She's really big on, on building projects that uh, help with diversity and inclusion in the tech space, which is super needed. But yeah, I would really recommend checking her out. She streams a few days a week. Cool. So yeah, I'm going to go ahead and use uh, Lego Masters as my pick. So 
You know, when it, it's so much different than when I was a kid. All you really had was square blocks, long blocks. Everything just was a rectangle. So from now, you know, all the different things they got with Star Wars and different themes, yeah. that kind of stuff. You know, it's amazing. But it was still lots and lots of fun when I was a kid. I had Legos for my kids. So I like uh, watching them. Um, you know, they start from the beginning and they only have like four hours, six hours, eight hours, depending on what the task is to build these things. And sometimes they're they're pretty impressive. So yeah, check out that show. That's really cool. All right, guys. Mm-hmm. Good show. Thanks so, for coming back again, Mike. Uh, Michael, really how, how best uh, to reach out and touch you, for lack of a better term? <laughs> Get in touch? I, I, I'm married, Caleb. Um, it was COVID, so many different terms, Caleb. <laughs> COVID, Caleb. Oh, yeah. as, long, as long as you reach out from six feet away. Um, <laughs> no, probably the easiest place to find me is on Twitter. It's Bald Beard Build. Uh, and then everywhere else, whether it's YouTube, Twitch, uh, it's all Bald Bearded Builder. Instagram, all those are a little longer. But yeah, certainly would love to have everybody join our Discord too. It's a great community of people that just literally help each other all day with not just coding issues. It's, it's really fun to see the support everybody has for each other and what they built there. Cool. All right, guys. And if our listeners want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. Please get in touch with me on Twitter. I am at dotnet superhero. A little extra stuff there. You know, I'm, I'm on a roll today. I'm trying to reach out and touch Michael. I might as well add a little extra to, to the sound effects for you. And for me, they can find me at uh, Caleb Wells Coates. All right, guys. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of Adventures in .NET. Bye, y'all. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit dot com to learn more.